Uh, let's start in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We have been teaching on the Holy Spirit and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. One of the problems we have addressed is for all that the church is excited about the Holy Spirit, the, the church unfortunately seems to know very little about the Holy Spirit. And we know more about Jesus, and we should know a lot about Jesus because He's our Savior. He's our Lord. He was manifest in the earth. Four whole books are dedicated to His operation and ministry. But then there's the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. And if you didn't know, He's had a lot longer track record of ministry in the earth now than Jesus did. Now, if you if you're, depends on your Trinitarian doctrine. If you understand that there are three persons but one God, and the Lord was operating in the Old Testament and then manifest in the flesh in the Gospels, but now he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's given the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been working in the earth for 2,000 years through us who are now the body. And it, to me, it's kind of a weird thing to consider that our head is seated at the right hand of the Father, and then we're the body down here doing the work of the Lord. But that's how it works. That's the whole allegory and metaphor. So with the Lord Jesus having been gone for 2,000 years, and I understand he comes to the earth. I understand he walks among the churches, but he's seated at the right hand. So for the Holy Spirit to be in the earth for 2,000 years and to be the helper that Jesus prayed the Father to send us, we are still, even as Charismatics or Pentecostals, very ignorant of the operation and ministry of the Holy Spirit. I think we've learned that in the last two or three months that we've been teaching this, that we had no idea that there were five paracletical teachings that revealed seven job descriptions of the Holy Spirit. And we would have fancied ourselves to have the corner market on all pneumatology, that is, study of the Spirit. But we, I think we thought because we spoke in tongues, cast out a devil, and saw a healing once upon a time, then we had all there is to know about the Holy Spirit. And it really is quite laughable. And I really, I really haven't met many folks who know a lot about the Holy Spirit. We know the Bible, but we do have to know the operation of the Holy Spirit better because He is the assigned helper. He is God in the earth, not God in the flesh, but God in the earth, God in us, because we're the tabernacle now, God in us, and he's working in and through our lives. So I want to go ahead and give you the big sham wow first. Usually I save that for the end. It helps some of you older guys stay awake. But I figure I'll go ahead and give it to you now, and then you can feel free to take your nap. Like, well, I got the important part, so now I'll just go ahead and rest in God. I, w I don't feel bad because I know you do this on your wife, and I know you do this in the movie, and I know you do this at, on the couch. So I don't take it personal. I know I'm not that boring of a preacher. Somebody did recently tell me, your voice is so soothing, though, Pastor. It just puts me to sleep. <laughs> Whatever you got to tell yourself, man. I mean, that sounds a lot better than you don't love God. So I just, it's my, that's a joke. It's a bad joke. It is a joke. So here's my sham wow. We have the five paracletical teachings of Christ. We have the nine fruit of the Spirit, and we have the nine gifts of the Spirit. So we'll say the five paracletical 
teachings, which we'll say the seven job descriptions of the Holy Spirit. Seven job descriptions. That's what we've been covering for two months now. Nine fruit, nine gifts, but we'll call those manifestations. So here's the, here's the simple shamwow. The seven job descriptions of the Holy Spirit are what the Holy Spirit does for us. It's what he does for us. The nine fruit are what he does in us. And the nine gifts are what he does through us. There's your shamwell. So let's bow our heads and pray. We'll go home now. <laughs> the seven job descriptions of Jesus, excuse me, the Holy Spirit that Jesus gave us in John 14, 15, and 16, they describe to us what the Holy Spirit does for us. The seven job descriptions are he's our helper, he's our teacher. He's our reminder. He's our witness. He's our convictor. You shouldn't be writing this part down because you should already have this like five times. He's our guide and he's the shower revealer of things to come. That's what he does for us. We know the nine fruit, the love, the joy, the peace, the long suffering, uh, the gentleness, the goodness, the meekness, faithfulness, self-control. This is what the Holy Spirit does in us. This is what he wants to do in us. So the fruit is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. The paracletical job description is the work he does for us. And then the nine gifts of the Spirit, which we more accurately call the nine manifestations when we slow down and teach like this. The nine manifestations are what he does through us because they are given to every man to profit with all. The modern translations say they're given to every man for the common good. The fruit are not for the common good. It's for us. What he does for us is not for the common good. It's to help us. But the nine manifestations of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12 are him working through us. So I think it's pretty awesome that there you have even a trinity within the trinity that he does things in us, through us, and for us. Now, what's wonderful about that and maybe indicting is with all of that power of God working on our behalf 24-7, why do we still manage to limp along? It's just a good question, and I'm not here to beat us up tonight. But with the Holy Spirit doing things for us, the Holy Spirit doing things in us, and the Holy Spirit wanting to do things through us, it becomes very incriminating when Christians stay the same. It would be like somehow managing to go to the beach and not getting wet or sandy, which would take a miracle. You, you, you know how it is. You can just walk on the beach, flip-flops in hand, pants rolled up. You get home, and you have sand behind your ear and in your belly button, and you hadn't even had to wipe anything yet. And you're like, well, I was pretty sure. I... Somehow Christians get saved and stay the same with the Holy Spirit in his assignment from the Father to work in us, through us, and for us. So it takes a tremendous power, a tremendous resistance, a tremendous force to be able to resist all that maneuvering in, for, and through and still stay carnal, stay natural, staying secular. 
And that's why we have to study the word. This is why we have to press into God. This is why we fast. This is why we attend church. We want to allow the Holy Spirit to do as much as possible in our lives. It's also why the Lord had these things written down so we would recognize the operations of the Holy Spirit in our life. One of the other things we said, and this as a review, the whole of the Old Testament, Jesus and the, excuse me, Moses and the prophets were pointing towards the Messiah. And the Jews had even developed what are called messianic expectations, that he would heal people, that the, the hills would flow with wine. That was a messianic expectation, that they knew he would come in on a donkey. They were all these prophecies so that when he showed up, they wouldn't miss the Messiah. And yet, for knowing all that scripture, they not only missed him, they killed him. We have John, we have Corinthians, we have Galatians that teach us exclusively about the work of the Holy Spirit, and yet Christians manage to miss the ministry of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. We manage to somehow not get it. And now if you take the seven plus the nine plus the nine and you start applying modernist doctrine, you start scratching out some of the operations of the Holy Spirit. So if you were to look at the seven job descriptions, there are Christians today that say the Holy Spirit doesn't convict. So draw a line through that. There are Christians today that say he doesn't show us things to come. That's too supernatural. And don't you know God isn't supernatural? That's, that's the end of a lot of cessationist doctrine. God isn't supernatural anymore. Well, if he's not supernatural, he's not God. Now consider, if he's God, and by nature he's not natural, he's supernatural, then any interaction he has with man is a supernatural interaction. But let's just take, for their argument's sake, we draw a line to that seventh job description and revealer of things to come. And guide. Well, he can't be our guide because that means he has to talk. And modern Christians say God doesn't talk anymore. So now we've eliminated three out of the four. So all the Holy Spirit is is helper, teacher, reminder. You know what? Reminding sounds too much like talking, and we know God doesn't talk anymore. So draw a line through that and witness, inward witness. We don't even know what that means. It's mystical. Draw a line through that. So he's a helper and a teacher. So now the Holy Spirit's been let off the hook five of the seven things. Then, of course, if you get into some cessationism, you get over to the gifts of the Spirit, you either eliminate them all or you start reinterpreting them. So the word of knowledge becomes you just know a lot. You're smart. Word of wisdom is you've been around a lot. You've got experience. Tongues and interpretation of tongues is you're bilingual or trilingual and you translate on mission trips. Gift, gift working of miracles? Well, that's been done away with. There's no way to excuse that, so let's draw a line through that. Gifts of healings, that's called a hospital. I've heard this stuff. Discerning of spirits. It means I'm really good at being critical. I have the gift of discernment. No such thing. But for their sake, there is. That just means I have a blog and I criticize people who I don't agree with doctrinally. That's the gift of discernment for them. So before long, you see very quickly, we have no supernatural Holy Spirit in his gifts. So then we come over to the fruit of the Spirit. And with all that power gone, how is there any power left to have true love and true joy and true peace and true long suffering 
and true gentleness and true goodness and true meekness, true faithfulness. And forget about self-control. This is America, baby. We have no idea what self-control or self-discipline is. <laughs> Draw a line through that one. So now, if we started off with 9 plus 9, which is 18, plus 7, that's 25. That's called math. I'm not good at it. Just did something right there, though. You eliminate half of that, you now have one half of a third of the Godhead. But bless God, they'll pound their fist on the pulpit and say, you better have your Trinitarian doctrine right. Why? So you can take the third person of the Godhead and emasculate him? And bring him down from above and make him like us with no power? That's the danger that we're living in. So it's why we have to teach this stuff over and over and over again so that we know the God who has been sent from above to help us after we got born again. So I think we've learned a lot in the last two months about these five paracletical teachings and the seven job descriptions, because if we recognize that sometimes the remembrance, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. How many of you have experienced that since we've been teaching it? And you realize, wow, one or two of you came to me and said, if it weren't for what you've been teaching, Pastor, the Holy Spirit just reminded me something. And it was so encouraging to know that's the Holy Spirit reminding me to call that person and invite them to church or to be convicted. We'll never look at conviction the same again. We'll think, hallelujah, that's the Holy Spirit working in my life. I really wish preachers would talk more, not about hearing from God to cast out a devil, but hearing from God about what an idiot and moron they are. If preachers would only be more honest about the Lord convicting them, the sheep would be a lot more confident in their ability to hear from God. They would realize we're all walking around beat up sometimes because the Holy Spirit's just shaking his head going, no, 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 <laughs> no. And if we understand that one of his jobs is to teach us, then we're going to start looking at his, at his chalkboard called the Scripture. We're going to start spending time in prayer asking him questions so he can do his work in our life. The reason more Christians aren't spiritual is because, number one, they probably don't know what the Holy Spirit and his operations look like. And number two, they don't spend time cooperating with them. And if we know what his operations look like, we'll know how to cooperate with them. If, if you're supposed to meet somebody you've never met before, it's probably important to know what they look like, what they're driving, and what you're meeting them there for. I'm trying to think. Years ago, when I was in geology, we had this freshman engineer out of University of South Carolina. His name was Bob Piasecki. He's in the Navy now. He actually is a, a CB. He does engineering for the Navy. It, he was green out of college. Engineers are not smart people, green out of college. And so we worked with drill rigs and... Uh, the drillers always set their gooseneck trailers on the side of job sites. This job site happened to be the side of the interstate. And they unload their stuff, and then they take off. And so Bob was there to meet them. Bob has never been around a drill rig, has no idea what anything is. So his car is parked there waiting for the drillers to come back so he can, I don't know, lose us money or something. And the drillers had a bunch of equipment. One of them happened to be about a 500-gallon water tank that the drillers need to drill with. And the, these guys pull over on the side of the interstate. And the, so Bob doesn't know who they are. And they say, hey, is that your water tank? And Bob says, not my water tank. These guys hop out, load the water tank up, and steal it. 
and drive off. You know, Bob doesn't know who he's meeting because he hasn't met the drillers, doesn't know what the water tank is. Drillers come back from lunch. Hey, uh, was there a water tank here a while ago? And Bob's like, yeah. Any idea what happened to it? But these two guys showed up and met me. And they asked me if it was my water tank, and I told them the truth. It wasn't my water tank. They loaded it up and drove off and stole it. It helps to know who you're meeting <laughs> and what the job assignment is so you can cooperate with them. How many times does the Holy Spirit show up in our services and we have no idea who we're meeting? How many Pentecostal churches show up and meet with the familiar spirit and have no idea, and the, holy, the familiar spirit steals stuff from the congregation, steals joy, steals provision, steals promotion, because the people don't know who they're meeting or what his job assignment is. So we've covered, I think, quite thoroughly enough the seven paracletical job descriptions in John 14, 15, and 16. So let's go to Galatians. Let's spend a few minutes reviewing and encouraging ourselves on the fruit of the Spirit. We as Pentecostals always like to get everything backwards. We like to put the gifts first because they make us look awesome. We like to put the power gifts first because they make us look mystical or, or supernatural, not realizing that those are the least prominent thing the Holy Spirit wants to do in our life. I will remind you concerning the gifts God can set trees on fire easier than he can set Christians on fire. He speaks through burning bushes a lot easier and a lot more readily than he does through believers. He uses donkeys way more readily than he uses humans. So we're not real impressed by the gifts of the Spirit. Furthermore, if you understand juju and witchcraft, not everything that's supernatural is God. And... It's really hard to fake a life of nine fruit. It's really hard to fake joy. It's really hard to fake peace. It's really hard to fake goodness and gentleness and long-suffering. These are things only the Holy Spirit can accomplish in our life. Now, we cover the paracletical job description first because that's the way the Lord works in our life to get us to bear fruit. And the more we can bear fruit, the more we'll be prepared and equipped to operate in the manifestations. It is amazing looking back now because I've been a part of Pentecostalism 27 years. Charismatica, word of faithdom. And we for 27 years, maybe not all of 27, when I jumped into it, it was always the gifts, always the supernatural, always the power. And we threw everything else out. Now, some of you may say, well, I don't listen. That was my experience, and I came in super observant. All right, so well, that wasn't my experience. Okay, it was mine. And most of you are nodding your head going like, yeah, talk about it. <laughs> I just had lunch with a local pastor today who's word of faith, and he said, when I got spirit-filled, nobody wanted to do anything with the charismatics because they were crazy and they were damaging a lot of churches. And that was 30 years ago. 35 years ago. We see how the Holy Spirit works through the paracletical job description. And the number one thing he wants to do is get this fruit in our life. So he's going to help us. That's his first job description. Help us bear this fruit. He's going to teach us 
where the fruit needs to be in all these areas. He's going to remind us how to get the fruit going. He's going to bear witness when we are bearing the fruit and we don't feel like we are or remind us what we need to do when we weren't doing it. He's going to convict us when the fruit begins to shrivel and dry up. He'll guide us into better fruit production and then he'll show us things to come. And it might be if you don't hurry up and bear fruit, you're done. That might be the thing he shows us to come. But we need to slow down and look at these nine fruit and it would help us if we viewed them as attitudes. Because I've looked at this many times and wondered, what does is, what is the fruit of goodness look like? What does the fruit of gentleness look like? What does the fruit of self-control look like? If we can view these as attitudes, we can change who we are a lot quicker and get them in our life. If we're waiting for the anointing to fall on us and we fall in the ground and we give birth to this banana that looks like goodness, or we shake and jerk and Pentecostal foam at the mouth and a pineapple rolls out and it's called faithfulness, like that's what we're waiting for. These are attitudes. And if you can pinpoint the areas of your life where you don't have the fruit or the attitude, you can apply the word of God and get the attitude changed. Because what's incriminating and damning and challenging about these nine fruit is they're not just supposed to be in our life. They're supposed to be in our life every day in every area. Now, barely do we have all nine. Even less do we have them every day. Even less do we have them every day in every area of our life. You might have half the fruit at your home, another two or three on the job. You might go to the deer stand and be able to start growing about four of them. But can you get these working at a family reunion? Uh, that wasn't an amen. That was a grunt. Did you hear all those grunts? That's how you know we're preaching good. Can you get the nine fruit? Of, can you get two of the fruit of the spirit at family reunion? Oh, man. Yeah. God, everything's possible. I don't know if I believe it. <laughs> I'm a cessationist. It's all been done away with. <laughs> so let's look at these fruit. And I know we know these, but we don't bear them in every area. So let's hear them again. Maybe the Lord will say something to us different. This is what he wants to do in our life. This isn't what he's doing through our life. This isn't what he's doing for our life. This is what he wants to do in our life. And these nine fruit prove you have a walk with God. These, this is the proof you and I walk with God. Samson operated in miracles and faith, but he did not walk with God. The donkey operated in discerning of spirits, prophecy, and the gift of tongues. But he did not walk with God. Balaam operated in prophecy, discerning of spirits, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, but he did not walk with God. I do not care at all about the miracles of any man's ministry or any prophetess's Facebook page. That is no indication that a person walks with God. When you and I walk with God, this is the work. He does in our life. He causes these nine fruit to grow. And the first fruit is love. And all you have to stop and say is, 1 John says, perfect love casts out fear. So how much is your life still driven by fear? 
and in what areas? Because we all have fear to different levels, to different degrees, and it affects our lives differently. So you've got to figure out where the fear is hurting your life and invite the Holy Spirit to do more work there. You don't run from it. It's best to go sit there and smell it, breathe it in deep, stare it down and say, this is it. This is what's crippling my life. Most of what we do is affected by fear. Most of our failures are fear-based. Fear is the most powerful emotion and faith in the earth, and it affects every one of us. It, it is... It is there in the sin nature. It's developed through our childhood. It can be exaggerated through poor parenting. It can be exaggerated through trauma, bad experiences. Dispositions are given over to one fear more than the other. We all have to deal with it. And it is interesting. The only thing perfect love casts out is fear. Not jealousy, but jealousy is a fear. It's a fear of loss. Fear somebody's going to get what you want. Most of the stuff we contend with, these evil emotions, are rooted in fear. So we might say that the antithesis of love is fear. And as many have taught, all your other eight fruit of the Spirit extend from love, so all your other wicked emotions extend from fear. Jealousy, insecurity, rage, anger, mocking, criticism, criticality, all of this extends from fear timidity, flight, all of it's fear-based. So one of the things our walk with God should resolve is fear. And we might get the victory in this area of fear and begin to get love working here, but we also know there's going to be a lot of other areas over here that have yet to be addressed. If I love somebody, it's not hard to have a conversation with them, even if I'm afraid to. If I love the lost, it won't be hard or too hard to witness to them, even if I'm afraid to, because perfect love will cast or drive that fear out. So what we've got to do as we identify fear in our life and watch those lights come on, warning lights, fear, 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 fear. We need to go to that area and see where the love of God is lacking there. Where hasn't the love of God, God's love for me, my love for this person, my love for this situation, my love for my God, where hasn't the love of God grown and developed here to drive out all this fear? It's easiest to see in relationships that when you're afraid, it's hard to be loving. When you're jealous, it's hard to be loving. When you're afraid, it's insecurity is there. But when you can operate in the love of God and know that God loves you and you love people with the love of God, it doesn't really matter what they think. So the insecurity issue dries up. Let me say something that might be a stretch and a challenge. As you mature in Christ, you're going to realize you don't have permission to be insecure anymore. Insecurity and this is not me bashing your insecurity so that you're insecure now about your insecurity. Okay, you can see how this tumbles out of orbit. Let me put on the biggest Mickey Mouse gloves I possibly can find. And oh, look, they don't have any, so I don't have any for you. So I'll put my hands in my pocket. When you realize we're called to win the lost, then it doesn't matter if I'm intimidated by you. 
I don't have time. I don't have permission to be insecure in your presence. You're going to hell. I need to tell you about Jesus. That's an extreme example. But when the rest of it is, I have the answers of God. I have Christ Almighty. I'm born again, and you need my friendship. I don't care if you think I'm fat. I don't care if you think I'm ugly. I don't think, care if you like my skin color or not, my accent. I don't care. I'm going to be your friend. And it, what you think about me, I don't have time or permission to waller or worry about. I have got to grow up. If you don't ever beat that, then you'll always allow your fear to dictate every friendship, every relationship, every job, every evangelistic opportunity. You, you and I will be totally steered by insecurity, bitterness, unforgiveness, all of this is resolved with love. Perfect love casts out fear. You name the fear, love will fix it. It'll just fix it. If you know that I love you and I know that you love me, there's nothing to be afraid about. I'm afraid I'm going to get in trouble. Well, it, well, you're probably going to be in trouble. You either are or you aren't. There's nothing to be afraid about. I mean, it's, it's either like it's an up-down vote. It's either you are in trouble or you're not in trouble. If you messed up, you're in trouble. What's there to be afraid about? It really, we get into these mental psych games. <laughs> the Chinese should study us to see how to play psyops. <laughs> they should watch us to see how we get in our head. The next fruit is joy. Joy proves that you don't have self esteem issues. We sit down in a circle of people. And the person who can sit there and smile and cut up, they're not in their head about what everybody else is thinking. Now, let me pick on girls just a little bit because our culture teaches girls to be a lot more self-conscious than guys. I notice women a lot, if they have to stand open too much, they start getting real self-conscious and they start adjusting stuff and pulling stuff down. This isn't a problem if you wear stuff that fits. I mean, it's nice to be able to stand behind a pulpit, but because I dress modest, I don't mind to stand in front of you and not. Is it too short? I don't know. You're the one that put it on. If it is too short, when you sit down, it's even shorter. It's exhausting to always worry what's in somebody else's head. It is exhausting to always be concerned. What do they think about me? What do they think about me? What do, you, that's borderline lunacy. It's a mental game you're not designed to play or live. It will fatigue you. It will make you sick. It'll beat your heart down. You'll bring that into whatever relationship, career, friendship you have next. You ought to be so full of love. You have joy. And it doesn't really ever bother to cross your mind what somebody else thinks about you. Because you've come out of a relationship with God that morning and you're just excited. I'm just happy to be here and either they're going to like me or they're not. And I can't really adjust either one of them. And I'm not bothered. Gonna, I'm not going to go ask them. I'm not going to have them reply to my Yelp and have them rate me as a human being. Why would I want to know what they think about me? Let me just be me, full of God. But when you are always worried about what people think, there won't be much joy. Any joy will be facadal. It'll be a veneer because really beneath the veneer, you're worried. What do people think? What do people think? What do people think? What do people think? What do... And when you get in that place of mind, even if we told you we love you, you won't believe it because you can't convince that person because they're not rooted in love. 
Love believes the best. If I ask Mr. Greg, what do you think about me, Mr. Greg? Oh, pastor, I love you. Oh, praise God. I believe the best. He, if he was going to lie, it wouldn't be to my face. So I hope not. <laughs> so we see that a walk with the Holy Spirit produces love, then joy. And on the heels of these two, you have this peace. Oh, that's worth so much. Peace, peace, not as the world gives peace, which means we don't need it through alcohol or pills or food. Did you know the Holy Spirit is grossly offended by comfort food when he's called the comfort God? I might, I want to give a little bit of permission so I don't beat myself up preaching. There might be a little bit of permission to like unwind and find comfort in something. But really, if we were to be very strict, whoever you turn to for comfort is your God. Is it a dog? A lot of folks can't wait to get home to love on their four-legged comforter. And that gets perverse. And, of course, you tell somebody that. When they're a dog person, I sound very unloving. Now, if you go back and listen to the recording, I'm very even-killed, and I'm putting some of you to sleep just talking like this. <laughs> it's not my fault you have tapped into unnatural affection and you find comfort in the presence of a canine and not the holy one. Canine and Trinity are math-related. Trinity's three. Canine is technically nine. But if you want to please God, you seek comfort from him. And I'm not against ice cream or food or whatever you do, coffee. But you ought to be saying, God, help me. Some people turn to food for comfort. And then they're going to be depressed because the food has enriched their rear end. It has paid great dividends. <laughs> and, and yeah, it's not Lululemon britches anymore. It's like Lulin, Lulu Orchard. Hmm. It's a lot of lycra. Where's the peace? Where's the peace? This proves we have a walk with God. You can be used in the gifts and have no peace. You can be used in the anointing, have no joy. You can cast out devils, preach a sermon, have no love. You can be a Samson without self-control. Tear the doors off of Gaza. Carry them 30 miles uphill to Hebron and have no self-control. Have no faithfulness to Jehovah. So we're really not interested in the manifestations if this fruit, which is what God wants to do in us, is lacking and we hurt every day. We aren't used in the gifts every day. We could go months or years without ever being used in a single manifestation of the Holy Spirit. But these fruit ought to be in our life daily. And truthfully, depending on the moment, every moment. Because these fruit are useful at Walmart. These fruit are useful on the job. These fruit are useful with your spouse. These fruit are useful with children. These fruit are useful with your boss and with your neighbor. And you may never see a manifestation of the Spirit with any of them. But these fruit can be there every time. And these first three, these are really the trifecta of the fruit because love, joy, and peace is the foundation of God in our life. And if we lack love, 
And it's evident with fear if we lack joy, and it's evident because of fear if we lack peace, and it's evident by fear. This is where we begin applying the Holy Spirit's nine paracletical, excuse me, seven paracletical job descriptions. Holy Spirit, help me. Holy Spirit, teach me. Holy Spirit, remind me. Holy Spirit, convict me. Show me things to come. Show me where this came from. Show me why I'm so fearful. Show me why I'm so worried about what's in everybody else's head. Every one of us, if we're going to mature in Christ, we have to get to a place where we learn to turn our mind off. And it takes discipline. And the day that we're living in, everything's vying for our attention, billboards, pop-up ads, and it keeps your mind just humming, 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 humming. No, 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 no. But if we can get to a place where our mind is just at peace, like the old calculators, where they didn't come on unless you turned them on, and then if you left them alone for too long, they went back to sleep. If we don't get our mind disciplined like that, we'll exhaust ourselves and completely salt a whole field of gospel fruit. It'll just wither. You have to be able to be in Walmart and not even think about what people are thinking about. told the story. There was a member here years ago. She was a roommate with Jenny Harris and Miss Bobby Scudder. She was a few years older than me. She was our college group. Her name was Jennifer. And she let her mind go and began to worry about what people thought and lived in fear. And she got to a place where she was so fearful in her mind. One time she walked into the sanctuary, Pastor Vaughn and others were up here cutting up and the doors squeaked. Those doors used to squeak back then. And so Pastor Vaughn was laughing. They all turned around to see who it was. She was convinced they were talking about her. Now, I think we all get that thought shot across our bow, but you say, whatever, this is my church family. They're laughing. If I was confident, I said, what are you guys talking about? What are you laughing at? You know, my shirt undone, my zipper undone, what? Got a booger from back there you can see? I'd, I would make light of it or just not even care. But she got so bad mentally because she would not discipline her mind. She became convinced that the guys at the football game on TV were talking about her in the huddle. Now, you could give her the benefit of the doubt walking into a room and everybody's laughing and they look up. I think because we've all experienced that. But you don't get a hold of your mind. It won't be much further, and your mind gets a hold of things. She was friends with a friend of mine who came to me when I had moved to Knoxville and said, did you, he was going to tech. He said, do you know this girl? I said, yeah. He said, I party with her. He was a backslidden believer. He said, I party with her. And he said, she didn't want me to tell you, but she's a lesbian now. I said, why are you telling me? So she went from delusional, then she got involved in lesbianism. She committed suicide. She overdosed on pills a couple times, and the last time she needed a liver transplant or something, they refused to give it to her because of her mental illness. So she died. She was a member of this church. I used to worship God with her, had a lot of fun with her. This is an extreme example of what happens when you don't master fear or the concern about what's in other people's minds. You've got to be able to get around people and not even think about what they're thinking about. 
if you don't master this, it'll ruin your life. And love, joy, and peace extinguishes all that concern. If you remember, Lester Sumrall said one of, the, one of the first things God ever told him was that another man's mind is no place to find your happiness, or you won't find your happiness in another man's mind, which means don't worry about what they think about you. There ought to be those that we're concerned about, our wife, our husband, our parents, our boss you should be concerned about, your pastor, sure. Other than that, don't know you, never see you again. You ought to be able to get on. I'm just thinking about me and my travels. Sit by total strangers. I don't care what you think. Nothing rude. I don't know who you are. My job is I've got the kingdom. We're on a flight for four hours. You're going to hear about it. We're going to figure out a subtle way to make it palatable to you. I don't care where you're going. Or I just want to make sure you're right with God if I have permission from God to do so. If you're insecure, you'll never be able to do that. Or you'll do it out of fear that if you don't do it, God won't love you. Now we're into really trippy mind games. If I don't do it, God won't love me. Okay, let's give you the gospel very clear. God already loves you, and you can't do anything to make him love you more, and you can't do anything to make him love you less. God is not like one of your weird parents who was a dysfunctional human being because of their parents, who was a dysfunctional human being because of those Neanderthals that raised them. <laughs> so if you're not careful, you'll get into serving God out of fear. And you'll think he's the one that holds the cosmic fly swatter. And if you don't do it right, he's going to nail you like dad did. So we've got to master this love, joy, peace. And with those three in, in your life, you can long suffer anything. Because joy is not based on what you're going through. Peace is not based on what you're going through. Joy, uh, love is not based on what you're going through. They're based on a walk with God. And if you have love, joy, and peace, it's easy to be gentle. So please hear that the trifecta, the foundation of the fruit is love, joy, and peace. And from those, everything else proceeds. So if you're not a gentle human being, you lack love, joy, and peace. If you have love, joy, and peace, you'll give it towards people. Freely you receive, freely you give. Love, joy, and peace is what God gives. It's our relationship with him. Long-suffering, gentleness, and goodness is what you have working within you. And then faith, meekness, and temperance is uh, what you have as an attitude proceeding out of you. Uh, excuse me. Um, Long-suffering, gentleness, and goodness is the fruit you give towards one another or you exert outward. And then the uh, faithfulness, meekness, and temperance is what you have within yourself. Faithfulness is an attitude or a character issue. Meekness is a character issue. Temperance is a character issue. So if you have love, joy, and peace, you can endure anything. If you have love, joy, and peace, you can be gentle. Brash, caustic, Jezebels, Jezebequas, the modernist Karen. Like, listen, if we can call white women Karen, we can call black women Shaniqua. Right? For every white Karen, there's a Shaniqua. They both fulfill stereotypes. I'm surprised nobody's called Karen a racial slur yet. Because it is very compartmentalized. It's a white woman with a horrible lesbian haircut who wants to talk to the manager. So what's the stereotype for Shaniqua? Bamboo earrings, at least three pair. Fendi bag and a bad attitude. 
That's what I'm singing an LL Cool J song to you from the early 90s. It's a stereotype. There's no racism involved. It's a cultural stereotype. Karen has no love, joy, or peace. Any rude parent lacks love, joy, and peace. The reason you're not gentle is you have burned through long-suffering. If you can be long-suffering at a, at a restaurant, you're not going to be rude to the waiter or waitress. You see how these are built upon one another. Now, it should be no wonder we never make it to self-control. Because you are practicing self-control at long-suffering. You are practicing self-control at gentleness. You are practicing self-control at goodness. You are practicing self-control at meekness. You are practicing self-control at being faithful. So how in the world would you have any self-control for self-control if you just, like, burn through the other ones? <laughs> and so you see that love, joy, and peace are actually the foundation for even self-control. But going to goodness, that's generosity. Faithfulness, that's your ability to keep time. It's the ability to show up for your boss. It's the ability to do a good job. Stay faithful in your marriage. It's not the gift of faith. It's faithfulness. It's pistis in the Greek. This is proof we walk with God. Because we care nothing about the manifestation of the Spirit if we're rude. I'll tell you this, and this irritates me. Oftentimes, preachers have the worst reputation at restaurants. And I have preacher friends that I won't go out to eat with anymore because they are so bossy. It's actually the Karen wife and so mean to waitresses. I'm apologizing and I'm like, you're just costing me three times because I'm going to have to tip this girl to compensate for your lack of fruit. And why doesn't your husband thump you? Like if I wasn't, if he wasn't here, I'd kick you under the table. If he goes to the bathroom, I'll kick you under the table because there's no reason to talk. I hope she spits in your food personally. Faithfulness, meekness, that's teachability, humility. That's self-control in your own soul towards your, the, your estimation of yourself. And then, of course, we teach a lot on long-suffering, or excuse me, self-control, which is your ability to restrain your appetites, doing what you should, as you should, when you should, desiring what you should, when you should, as you should. We do make the point the South is the Bible Belt, but we're also the fattest part of the country. The South is the Bible Belt. We're also the most impoverished part of the country. The South is the Bible Belt, but we're also the most mentally ill part of the country. So how is it we're the Bible Belt, but we fail in every metric where self-control would benefit us? Do we even have a walk with God? Because this is God's work in us. This is the Holy Spirit's work in us. And verse 24 says, And they that are Christ's have eaten so much that the flesh is, they have lavished the flesh with confectionaries and they that are Christ have the biggest waist belt and the biggest deficit and the most pain meds and mental meds and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. Both of those deal with the soul. Affections and lusts Deal with the soul. So if you look at the nine fruit of the Spirit as attitude adjustments, it'll automatically push out affections and lusts. And so I guess we should conclude. We got a few minutes left. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 12. Talk briefly about the gifts. If we would focus more on the fruit of the Spirit, we might see more gifts. 
A lot of denominational believers have a lot of fruit, but they don't have gifts because they don't believe in the gifts. They believe they've been done away with, though there's no scripture that says they've been done away with. Zero scripture. The closest you come is 1 Corinthians 13, when it says that when that which is perfect shall come, that which is imperfect shall pass away. So what is perfect? There's nothing to define it by. So why do we assume it is is perfect Jesus? Is perfect the second coming of Christ? Is perfect the scripture? Because some will hold to that the perfect that's come is the canonization of the scripture. But the scripture wasn't agreed upon until the ninth century, actually 10th century, when Revelations was finally agreed upon. So does that mean the gifts of the Spirit continued for a thousand years after Christ? Why wouldn't the scripture be a little bit more specific? Was it going to be relegated to men 900 years after Jesus to kind of agree upon it in a council? Or is there something else going on and people don't have it because they don't believe in it? 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1 says, Now concerning spiritual gifts or spiritual things, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. And that is why we're teaching on all this, because God doesn't want us ignorant of the third person of the Godhead. He doesn't want us just to be friends with him on Facebook. Most of the body of Christ in this nation is friends with the Holy Spirit on Facebook. They've never actually met him. They know all about his lineage. They know all about his personage. They know all about his division. They know all about his theoretical state, but they don't actually know him. To me, it's so laughable to hear adults say, oh, I know him. Oh, you do? We're Facebook friends. We're friends on Facebook. Do you realize to me how middle school, how elementary school it sounds to hear 50-year-old women say, we're friends on Facebook? So they're going to be at your funeral. They're going to be there at your kid's dedication. No, we're, we're just Facebook friends, like a lot of churches are with the Holy Spirit. We're just stained glass friends. <laughs> we're just doxology friends. We don't actually allow him to move in our service. We don't even know how he would move. We don't allow him to show off because we don't want him to because, you know, we might end up like the charismatics. I don't blame you. I don't want to end up like them either. But I also don't want to quench the spirit or grieve him or frustrate him or quench him or blaspheme him or, or despite him. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4 says, There are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are different administrations, but the same Lord. There are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. We see the Trinity there, Holy Spirit and gifts. Lord and administrations, God and operations. Verse 7, but the manifestation of the Spirit, and that's what verses 8, 9, and 10 are all about. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to every person to profit with all, or given to everyone for the common good. When, we, when I slow down and teach on the gifts of the Spirit, I purposely don't call them the gifts. I call them manifestations for clarity's sake. Now, when we talk about it in lingo and in passing, we'll call them the gifts of the Spirit because that's what the church has done for 100 years, even though it's not 100% accurate. There are also God gifts in Romans 12. The same word charisma is used there. Here it says, but, verse 7 says, but the manifestation. And that's what verses 8, 9, and 10 are. They are the manifestation of the Spirit. The word manifestation means exhibition or demonstration of power. Verses 8, 9, and 10 
are the only nine ways or categories of ways the Holy Spirit shows off. And they are what he wants to do through us. These manifestations are given to every one of us. Nobody's excluded to profit with all. Does it mean we'll all see the gifts in our life, all nine? Probably not. They're given for the common good. So if it's not needed, you're not going to see it. Howard Carter, who brought the revelation of what these were back to us during World War I, when Corinthians 12 goes on to conclude, desire earnestly the best gifts, he said the best gift is whichever one you need in the moment. If you never need to see an angel or a demon, you'll never need to see an angel or a demon. So you'll never have that discerning of spirit. If you never need to prophesy, you'll never prophesy because it's not what's needed. If you have to raise people from the dead every month, and you'll do it every day for a month if that's what's needed. These manifestations, these exhibitions, demonstrations are given to every one of us. Just like every one of us should have fruit, just like every one of us should have the operation of the paraclete working in our life, every one of us should be used at some point in these gifts. The best we can do is qualify through holiness and preparation not qualify to earn, but qualify by ready or readiness and then allow God to move as he wants. Now, what makes these different than the fruit is that the Holy Spirit's in charge of these, the fruit we're in charge of. These gifts of the Spirit, as we call them, are sovereign moves of God. They turn on and off as God wills. We can't control them. All we can do is pray for them. We can seek them earnestly. We can covet them earnestly. But they turn on and off as he sees fit. We can set the atmosphere through praise and worship. We can say, Father, move as you, as you see fit. Move by the gifts. Lord, may we have them in our services. But in the end, if he doesn't move, he doesn't move. We stick with what we know. But we can control the gifts excuse me, the fruit. We can control the fruit. I can totally control my love towards my wife. I can totally control my gentleness towards my irritating spouse or my coworker. I can totally control that. I cannot control discerning of spirits. I cannot control working of miracles. I cannot control prophecy. So that's what makes this different. I can't control the paracletical job descriptions. That's how the Holy Spirit is going to work in my life. Gifts of the Spirit is how he's going to work in, well, for me, in me. This is how he's going to work through me. So we have to be prepared for this. The reason we don't call it gifts is for clarity's sake. If it's a gift, and it's like if this phone is a gift to the Spirit, and I'm, going, I'm God the Father, and I'm going to give it to Pastor Caleb, here's a gift to the Spirit. It's assumed that he can control it now because I gave it to him. But that's not the word. It's manifestation. It turns on when God wants. It turns off when God wants. If we think it's a gift, we'll think I'll have it forever. I might get used in discerning of spirits once, and that's it. I might get used in working of miracles once, and that's it. Because it's as God sees fit. And that's what verse uh, 11 says. All these worketh the one and self, same spirit, dividing to every man severally as he wills. It's as he wants. Let's read through them real quick. And maybe we'll have time for a question or two if you want. You guys ready with a microphone? It can be. I'm not saying anybody's going to have a question, but Gertie's moving. This seems like a good place. Somebody might have a question or two. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, 
That doesn't mean you're really smart with experience. To another, the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. That doesn't mean you just know a lot because you have a good memory. To another, faith by the same Spirit or special faith. To another, the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, diverse kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. So those are your nine. They're lumped in to power gifts, vocal gifts, and revelatory gifts. It's amazing you see the pattern of three over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Word of knowledge is knowing something about the present or the past. Word of wisdom is knowing something about the future. It's a word. Just like let every word be established. It's just part of a testimony. It's not the entire testimony. You can often tell... When people kind of get outside the permission of God, they prophesy, and it's not a word. It's a novel. (laughs) If God can succinctly communicate his goodness in 66 books over a thousand years, I think you can wrap up your prophecy in a minute or two. (laughs) Then you have faith or special faith. And this is too much to go into now. Special faith works a miracle, sorry, receives a miracle, and working of miracles works a miracle. Oh, it's right here. Microphone is right here. So special faith receives a miracle. Working of miracles works a miracle. You have uh, gifts of healing. That is an endowment to heal people. It's gifts. It's plural. Because typically when this manifests, somebody has an endowment for a certain ailment. And they just tend to get really good results. They'll say, I'm just really anointed for knees. I'm really anointed for eyes. I'm really anointed for pregnancies. Uh, When we first were married and went to South Africa, Pastor Casey was just, we were getting to know Pastor Casey Naidu in Durban. And he said, I have an anointing for pregnancies, Pastor Chris. Any woman I lay hands on, she gets pregnant. We see it all the time. And Amanda was right there. And I said, we were just married a year. He's not to touch you. He's not to pray for you. Stay away from him. (laughs) But actually, when we were having trouble getting pregnant with Lydia, my friend, Pastor Shane Philpott, has a similar anointing. He laid hands on my wife, and we conceived that night or the day after. It happened. It's quick. And we could trace it back. We're like, that's right after Shane prayed for us. Had an endowment. We tried for, I don't know, six months or so with Lyd maybe longer, maybe a year. I just remember getting a fight with the insurance guy. I remember chewing him out at a Hardee's because he dropped the ball on insurance really bad. He resolved it because he had upset a preacher. (laughs) Amen. Prophecy. Revelation says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, but to prophesy is to speak edification, exhortation, and comfort. Diverse kinds of tongues. That is tongues that requires an interpretation for the edification of the body. There is a tongues that is for personal edification. 1 Corinthians 14 distinguishes that. There is a tongues that requires an interpretation for the edification of the whole body. And uh, I find it fascinating that under the Old Testament, every divine utterance was called a prophecy. You come through the New Testament, God graduates his believers to a higher grade with more understanding. And now prophecy is is like put through a refractor. And now we have 
Word of knowledge, word of wisdom, prophecy. There's really more to it. If we were to look back at all the prophecies of the Old Testament, we would say, well, that prophecy is a word of knowledge. That prophecy is a word of wisdom. That prophecy is a simple gift of prophecy. That prophecy is really technically a, a discerning a spirit. That prophecy brought a working of miracles. You, it's really cool to see God tell us in the New Testament how everything was working under the Old Testament. And then interpretation of tongues. And so that's also wonderful as well. And we can all operate in these. I want you to hear that. Just like the Holy Spirit wants to do all seven paracletical job descriptions in your life, just like he wants all nine fruit in our life, he wants to use us as he sees fit, as it is necessary, in these nine. It won't be every day, even as a full-time minister. I don't see them every service. Uh, I might see word of knowledge almost every service, but that's a pastoral thing, to know my sheep. But that one, I can do that. You'll never know when I'm operating in a word of knowledge because I don't make a show of it. I just adjust my teaching. I'll hear something. I'll see something. And I'll say, well, let's turn to this verse. And somebody will come up to me like, you are reading my mail. And yes, I was. <laughs> Actually, the Lord read it to me. And then I read you a scripture. <laughs> but I would even say for me, I don't operate every service. I easily, probably three services a week, I might have a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom. Word of wisdom is more rare for me, but word of knowledge a lot where the Lord speaks to me for my sheep because he has to because I'm not smart enough to take care of you guys on my own. Amen. So there's your seven paracletical job descriptions, nine fruit where we could stay a lot longer, and then your nine gifts. Any questions? If there's no questions, we'll pray. Because we have lots to do this week before our conference. And we have prayer Friday night, service Saturday, and then five days of services. A lot of folks coming in. Any questions on anything we've said tonight clarifying these three areas of the Holy Spirit in the earth? Really, when you think about it, there's a lot more the Holy Spirit is doing today than the Lord Jesus was doing in three and a half years. We could easily make an argument. That's not to belittle the Lord. We would never do that. But it does make sense. The Holy Spirit has been with us longer than the Lord was with his disciples. There's a lot more work to do. Jesus even told his disciples, what I do, you'll do greater. Jesus never left Israel. We are all over the world. Jesus never ministered beyond Judaism and the Samaritans and the Greeks. We've hit Hindus. We've hit communists. We, we hit a lot of weird stuff. So we're seeing miracles the Lord never saw. Not me, but we, the body of Christ. Any questions? We clear on all this? Hopefully it is helping you. Oh, Miss Tracy. Explain the difference between just being able to discern and judge a situation well. Okay. That discerning of spirits is the one that probably, if we understand the operation of it, best explains how all the gifts of the spirit work. So discerning of spirits has nothing to do with being able to discern right from wrong. Hebrews 5 tells us that through use and training of our senses, we can discern good from evil. That's totally natural through scriptural training. You can even find pagans that can pick up on a liar. You can't con a con. Criminals can smell a con, and they're pagans. So that's just what we would call simple discernment. Just through life's experience. Actually, uh, justice, you know, justice is born again, but he's not spiritual. My, my five-year-old is not spiritual. What was it Lydia said to him? He said, you're just trying to... Oh, okay. So Lydia had... Bud Bud makes his own breakfast in the morning. 
He climbs on the counter, gets the toaster out, turns around, almost falls off the counter now because he's getting so tall, grabs his bagel, spins back around, and he usually toasts him a certain way. But Lydia often turns the toaster too hot. So she had done that. So it, it got his bagels darker. Bagels or bread? Waffles. That's even worse. So it burned his waffles, and he was upset. And Lydia said, oh, no, no, bud. There's nothing wrong with this. This, is, this makes them taste good. This is how you want them. And Justice said, no, it's not. You're just saying that so I will like it better. That's discernment. That's a sharp five-year-old to recognize his sister was playing him, trying to cover for her mistake. That is not true. You're just saying that, so I will like it. I don't like it like this. That's That's just discernment. Discerning of spirits is not the discerning of good from evil. It's not the discerning of right from wrong. It's the discerning of spiritual things, pneumaticos. So what it looks like is, all of a sudden, you can see an angel. You didn't turn it on. You don't have the power to. And as soon as God is done giving you the vision, he turns it off. And you may never see an angel again the rest of your life. Or you'll see a demon you weren't looking to. And then all of a sudden, the demon's gone, the vision's gone, and you'll never see maybe a demon the rest of your life. You can see the Lord Jesus. That's discerning of spirits. What I do find interesting, we used to teach 30 years ago that only born-again, spirit-filled Christians could operate in discerning of spirits. So then how do Muslims see Jesus every Ramadan? By the tens of thousands. That's discerning of spirits. People who've never heard of Jesus, people who don't even believe in Jesus are saying, Jesus of Nazareth, they don't even know where Nazareth is, appeared to me and told me he was the way. And Muslims get saved every Ramadan. So that's discerning of spirits. You might see the glory cloud. We had one testimony where a lady saw people praying in tongues and fire coming out of their mouth and landing on the person we were praying for. That's discerning of spirits. That has nothing to do with right from wrong good from evil, manipulation, conniving. That's you seeing into the spirit realm. And it really reveals how the gifts work that one minute you're just talking and all of a sudden the Lord Jesus just walks in in the back of your sanctuary. And you're like, there is Jesus. I can see him. And he might just stand there and watch us worship. And I look back and I'm making all this up. I want to be clear. I look back and he's gone. I didn't turn it on. I couldn't turn it off. Well, probably if it happened to me, I've never seen Jesus, by the way. I may never see him again until I see him face to face. That's how the other gifts work. You can't turn them on. You can't say, I'm about to prophesy. But you can tell when the anointing changes gears. There is an anointing to prophesy. They all have a unique flavor. You can feel it come on you, and it's, it's like a different flavor. It's, I don't know, I'm trying to, it's like I'm not a bow hunter, but you have different types of arrows. It's like you can tell this is a different arrow. This is a different anointing. This is for, I'm about to prophesy. Or uh, uh, the glory is here. I can feel that anointing. There's an anointing to deal with demons. And you can recognize that. So that's why when folks say I have the gift of discernment, you, you really understand they don't know, unfortunately, what they're talking about. And you may want them to clarify it. Well, I have the gift of discernment. Like the ninth, one of the nine gifts of the Spirit or the Hebrews 5 gift of discernment. And if they don't know what you're talking about, then you know that they don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> so that's a good question. Is that clarify? You can see the glory cloud. 
Um, you see demons. Nobody has seen the Father. The glory cloud is the Holy Spirit. You see angels minister to people. That really, you can see humans, the human spirit. I've seen a few demons. That's, that's discerning of spirits. Um, yeah, you don't turn it on. You're not looking for it to happen. It's happening. Then it's done. It came out of nowhere, and it left just as soon and may never see it again. Good question. Dr. Crystal. Uh, Pastor, what do you do or do you do anything if you find that you have a manifestation that comes in a, a pattern? Like the way you said, um, like I remember Dr. Um, Pastor Ingolf said that he had an anointing for eyes. And what if you have, you know, maybe two or three times of a word of knowledge, do you like seek the Lord about how to work in that? Or do you just, they come and they come and you pray when it comes? Or what do you do with that? You certainly have to seek the Lord with anything you can tell he's gifted you or graced you with. Now, the other, the other aspect we have to keep in mind, John chapter 1 tells us that Jesus had the spirit without measure. He had all the fullness of everything. But we're now his body, and we're divided up among maybe a billion, maybe a billion true believers. I don't even know if I believe it's a billion. And so, whereas the Lord Jesus had all power, all authority, all anointing to do anything, as the Father commanded him, we're delegated in bits and bursts. So I might have uh, an anointing to teach, and I use Brother Marlon. He's got a good anointing to get folks spirit-filled. It's a natural grace. Miss Angie has a good anointing to exhort. If I give her the microphone nine times out of ten, she's going to just exhort and encourage us. What we have to do is kind of figure out, Lord, where do you keep using me? Where do, you, where do I keep falling? And then you study scriptures on that. Lord, it seems you like to use me to lay hands on people. Or Lord, it seems that you use me to soul win a lot. And one of the ways we can develop it is by studying that theme, that vein, and really mastering what God has given us and being a good steward. You don't get frustrated over what you don't have. You say, Lord, thank you for this. This is more than I thought you'd give me. I deserve hell. I got saved and you gave me the ability to teach or to encourage or to win the lost. Or I, Some of you have a great grace with children. Uh, I have my kids. I love my kids. I'm not a children's worker. Could be in a pinch, but I don't want to be pinched because I don't want to work with that many kids. <laughs> I have a tremendous grace to go overseas. And the rougher it is, the more my heart delights. I don't like hoity-toity. I don't like big cities. Give me rough bush. That's my grace. Other folks... They say, where are you going? I tell them, got no reason to go there. You have fun. Here's $1,000. Go spend it for me. You have to figure out where your vein is. I go places people don't want to. They go places I don't want to. I teach. They preach. Pastor Ingoff has an anointing for eyes. Dr. Jacobs has an anointing for lungs. And together we are the totality of the body of Christ working his power in the earth. So what we do, Dr. Crystal, is we start to kind of see where we tend towards and say, Lord, talk to me about this. And because we're smart, we study scripture on it. Maybe we find a book somebody's written along the same subject and we feed that gifting. We feed that operation through prayer, through study. And honestly, sometimes you just step out and do it. If I believed I had a gift for soul winning, I'd be on knocking on doors. If I believed I was an evangelist, I'd be talking to people constantly. If I believed I was called to be a healing evangelist, I'd be laying hands on every person limping. 
anybody wearing glasses, anybody with a, a brace on, anybody with a cane, with a crutch, anybody in a hover round, anybody on oxygen, I would be manifesting it. As it is, you know, I've, I've been in the ministry full time, 15, going on 16 years. I know my gift is teaching. So what do I do? I study everything nonstop because that's how you feed that gifting. I'm not a miracle worker. I don't have that necessarily. It's not my, my grace, though we do lay hands on the sick and we see things. But my gift to the body of Christ is I teach. I can, I can teach any doctrine any way you want to. I can prove it right, prove it wrong. So I stick in that. Happy to stay there. I'm comfortable there. So does that answer your question? Needing clarity to ask it again. I want to make sure we answer it right. I think you did. I just also wondered maybe if you can, what happens when you, are, when you see some of those manifestations that come that might make you kind of think it's a gifting? Okay, so, we, so the Lord uses you three times in a row to cast the devil out or prophesy. You start talking to the Lord about it. Lord, is this how you want to use me? Because it may be, or it may be, that's the last time you ever prophesy the rest of your life. But uh, you'll know through prayer and through studying, and the, you start, the, more you, the more you pray for people, the more the Lord will speak to you about them, the more you might have a, a word for them in due season. So I, it's a good point. You, you start to see a pattern. We don't want to assume anything, so we take it to the Lord in prayer. And if he wants to use us that way some more, great. And if not, let me go back to where you, you, you were using me Sunday. Taking care of children, leading prayer. All right, we learn anything tonight? Amen.